This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm sitting with Jackie Menezes. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I, I say this to all the candidates right off the bat, mine as well. You're running with 22 other candidates. So what makes you stand out from the other 22 candidates? Well, I'm a political veteran. I come uh, from the East, uh, where I spent a lot of time in politics, in transportation planning, which was highly politicized. I worked at Queen's Park uh, for two ministers, advising them on policy and implementation of policy. Uh, and then I ran as a an MPP myself, and I also helped on federal, provincial, and municipal campaigns. So a bit of a veteran, and I've... Seems like council's a bit beneath you then. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. So I chose to come to Squamish, chose to move here, and since arriving, I've joined the chamber, I joined the policy committee to understand what the issues are in Squamish. I help organize the Squamish Motorcycle Festival, which supports the food bank, and I've gotten involved with the Squamish Arts Council, which is also very important. So I bring some knowledge and some experience, and I'd like to keep on living here in Squamish as I chose to live here. And so Squamish is at quite a point of transition. That's right. A very big point of transition. And based on the decisions that are made at council, particularly in the near term, the next two years, we can then have a proper vision that will then help everyone enjoy affordable housing, proper transit, recreation. We will hopefully um, save and protect our natural beauty and also then have growth, which is critical. And managed growth is a critical issue. The management of the growth is a big issue because you can say we need jobs and you can say we need business. We can say we need homes. We can say we need this and that, but it's we have limited space, limited resources. So it's about managing that growth into something that can work for all of us. Now, you're, you're talking about understanding policy and where we're in the direction we're going uh, as Squamish in terms of policy and where we want to grow. With such turnover, does that cause a little bit of concern for you? Because, I mean, you had such a group of people get to this point where they've made, they've done so much groundwork, laid so much policy, so much to go into what we are, what you call a precipice of change, for them all to sort of say, yeah, I'm done. You know, yes, it leaves room for experts like you who love this community to come in and stand and, and voice your opinion and help guide, but does that sort of show, okay, what are we doing here? Do we need to, is that, is that a warning flag for you? No, I think it's, uh, change is good. It helps bring in a fresh perspective. We have a wide range of, of candidates running from very young to very experienced. All that fresh blood on council will help us get through this massive transition that we're about to go through. Yes, we have policies that have been developed to a certain point. Uh, we have a transit plan policy that we have the beginnings of. We have an OCP. Now we can take that as newcomers and build on that or change it to make it more workable. And I think having fresh blood and fresh perspective, because there are a lot of newcomers to Squamish, not necessarily from BC, but a lot from the Lower Mainland and a lot from across Canada. So I think we can bring best practices and fresh perspective. Now, when you talk about taking it and changing it or taking it and going with it, what do you think we need to be doing? Do you think there's some holes? We have to take a holistic, visionary approach. Well, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, sometimes, and this is just in the general population and not a criticism, just an observation, we tend to look at projects in a silo, 
GAS or GS even, or you know, infrastructure issues, we need to take almost a SimCity approach to how we plan. Planning is critical, and you can't plan in a vacuum. You can't just say, oh, we need to solve the transit issue without looking at affordable housing, without looking at living wages. So you have to look at all of them at the same time and find the balance. It's tricky. It's very tricky. It's very challenging, but you have to work together. One other point I'd like to say is people tend to say, I don't want this and I don't want that. But what I'd like to see and hear from people is, what do you want? How do you want your Squamish to look for the future? Growth is going to come. You can't deny that. If you really don't like growth, okay, maybe you have to look at other options. But you have to accept that growth is going to happen. And then how do, I, how do I make it good for me, my family, my friends, all of us, so that growth is managed properly and in with a vision, not just in silos? Everything sort of works off each other. So you're talking about road transit, you're talking about housing. They all sort of correlate with each other. But if it, from a policy standpoint, it's, I think it's hard to go in there and write policy that sort of has that uh, sort of overall feel. Because when you're writing policy about land development, you're sort of in that land development zone, right? I mean, is the policy that we have today sort of reflective on this big growth, uh, even growth? Or do we still have those in a silo type of policies? There is a little bit of both. I think um, when I was at Metrolinx in, in Ontario, when we did transit planning, we didn't just look at it in transit planning in and of itself. In one particular area of the GTA, we had carte blanche, you know, and so that was our lovely blank page. And so when we were thinking about housing and density, we also built a complete street, a transit and transit ways that included walking, cycling, cars, and transit, whether they be buses or, or streetcars or subways even. So the plan was a large view. How do you build that city? So it's almost, like I said, a SimCity uh, play. We didn't look at it just how do people get around in, on their, in, in a vehicle or a car or a bus or whatever. We also looked at how do people live their daily lives? How do they get to work? How do they get to school? Um, how do they do their shopping? It was from a perspective of the customer right. and people living their daily lives. And I think that's what planning needs to do. We have some good plans. We need to adjust some other plans. Adjusting in terms of, of how a large portion of our community commutes to work try to densify downtown uh, when it comes to transit i think within squamish it's fine but towards anywhere else it's it's a work in progress as you said before uh, and so what policies do you think we can put in place to sort of get the commuters back into town become a community again and help grow the way like a sim city approach economic development that's critical economic development takes into account all of those elements your social your housing your your transit attracting businesses that's a critical one we have a plan we need to enact it we have to attract living wages must but to attract living wages we also have to have housing for those workers so there again you have to have a balanced approach so how do you incentivize some of the larger businesses that you're trying to attract and maybe support a developer to build worker housing uh, that's affordable within the context of what they're willing to pay in a living wage. Mm -hmm. So a big part of our policy needs to be an economic development policy, one where um, people don't have to drive to Vancouver for work. They can actually stay here in Squamish and either walk or bike to work. That's the ultimate goal. Well, that's why we're here <laughs> is to walk and bike because we live in beautiful Squamish, right? Um, yeah. Do we need to attract bigger companies to come to Squamish? Do we need those companies to come up here? Or can we sort of grow from within? 
We can do both. You need a good balance. You always need a, a mix of entrepreneurs all the way up to big. I think we've got a few big ones here already. We definitely need to grow the small and medium. Not everybody wants to work for a large corporation. A lot of people like the entrepreneur model. So we need to foster that. Because I think we have a lot of companies here that are potentially to grow into bigger things. Uh, and just they just we have limited space for them. So when I hear talk about bringing in big companies coming in here and sort of take up some space that could be used potentially for some companies here ready to grow, ready to get to that next level, some flags go up there. Because what are we incentivizing these companies to come up here with? Right? How are we, how are we luring them to come up here? It's, it's great to say, we live in the greatest place on earth. They won't come up here unless there is extra incentives, which I don't think we can afford to do. And also, the people that live here who commute are professionals. So we have to create jobs that bring, or bring in companies that sort of reflect what they can do here. Exactly, and that's part of an economic development plan, is to attract those professional-grade jobs. I think we have a good, solid stance on the large corporations. I think we need uh, a greater diversity of types of businesses, not just retail. I think our biggest uh, employers come from is retail. You need professional jobs. Um, and not necessarily big companies. They can be small companies and medium companies. I think that's where we need to focus a bit more attention on. And once again, as I said, diversifying that tax base in the, in the, in the business area. The other thing we need to look at in the economic development part is getting our fair share of things like revenue in terms of gas tax, cannabis tax, which is coming, partnering with provincial and federal programs that are on the table right now. There's a huge one that was announced for a community project, and you can build a new rec center or cultural center. So those oh, yeah. are things that we need to, <laughs> because those are attractors, culture and recreation. When small, medium, or large businesses are deciding to move into an area, that is one of their big deciding factors is what kind of recreation is available for people who are going to work here. What kind of cultural activities are available? So you again, we go back to that big picture model. Right. How do you attract them? What do you have? And how can you build it out? So are you talking about possibly building an office tower somewhere? Um, hmm. This is what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> That's contentious. Because, yeah, exactly, because it's space is an issue, right? I yeah. mean, we're talking about creating neighborhood hubs mm -hmm. where you, know, you have your local this, your local that, and you, have, uh, you can walk around and, it's, and you can enjoy where, what the amenities in your neighborhood. We're talking about fixing Brennan Park. We're talking about uh, making sure even the water turns on, especially if we're sprawling out, say, to GAS, which we'll talk about. Yes. Um, so where do you stick these companies? Where, where do you think we have room for them? Well, geologically challenged space is a challenge. So density is, is, again, you have to manage density. You also have to look at why did people move here? They didn't move here for office towers. They moved here to enjoy the natural beauty. So you have to balance those two. You can try and set, you know, maximums on heights. Six stories seems to be the maximum of people's, uh, you know, tolerance to height. Well, I, I, you know, some people would disagree because if you're walking downtown Squamish and you have six-story buildings all along Cleveland, but you won't yep. be able to see the chief anymore. You lose sight of the chief. Yeah. Fair enough. So that's what I'm saying is you have to balance the needs of the people and the desires against how do you build that economic base. So, you know, consulting people, what do you want? And you have to find that balance. It's hard. It's very hard. It's not an easy task. But sometimes you're in politics, you're never going to please everyone. But you have to look for the greater good. You have to look at the greater good when you're making decisions like that and try to aim to get, you know, a good chunk of the population, 
what they want, but know that you'll never please everyone. That's just the, one of the rules of politics. You'll never please everyone. You'll always have a dissenter for sure. Yes. Which is another reason why I didn't jump into the foray for council. I started a new business and a young family. I just couldn't afford the, uh, the extracurriculars of people coming to my business to talk about <laughs> council stuff when I'm too busy cleaning the walls. But uh, downtown, when you're talking about infill and so the waterfront, you're happy to make downtown sort of the core based on the smart growth principles make sure everything sort of stays down there. So question next would be, how do you get people in and out from there? Uh, the Jumar is a very big building that sort of is a big spotlight on densifying the downtown. Only one way in, one way out. Uh, so, I mean, it's great that we're going to build these uh, these buildings that are bringing these companies in all in downtown Squamish, but yet getting in and out seems to be an issue. I, I agree wholeheartedly. When I saw that plan and... I asked various people on council, what kind of transit plan do you have for that intersection, those two intersections at the highway and then right at Cleveland and Buckley and the next one in? Because you've also got, not only do you have traffic coming in, you've also got a railway there that because of their own, they own the railway line and they have, they can run their schedule whenever they want. So during rush hour in Squamish at three o'clock or nine o'clock or eight o'clock, all of a sudden, you could have a train coming through, and then you've got backup, yep. back onto the highway and back into the city. So you have to build alternate routes, and there are a few choices for alternate routes. In Toronto, we built a bridge over a very critical point uh, where a railway was going through, and it was highly contentious, and we had to consult with people as to what that bridge was going to look like because it was going to take out neighborhoods in one of the plans, et cetera. We finally settled on a sub kind of bridge that went under the tracks at a certain point. It was a little more expensive, but not extremely expensive, and that helped solve the problem. But it took about a year of consultation to get to that point. We haven't even started that discussion, and I've asked council several times that was one of the reasons that helped me push me into how do we solve a key key intersection transit problem and I hadn't heard uh, anyone talk about it so that is a key point I I worry about it myself I live on Buckley I know that I'm going to be severely impacted by it but I don't just look at my own impact I look at the big picture tourism is going to be impacted by it businesses are going to be impacted by it and, I mean, there are alternatives. It's just a question of money. I mean, we have that, that emergency route that's uh, right along Buckley that goes uh, you know, the estuary road, turns into a dirt road, and comes right behind about behind Buckley to the Save-On Foods road there. Right. And so, I mean, you can pave that. I mean, there are options, but then you have places like Valley Cliff that's growing and only has one way in, one way out. So finding ways in and out is, is again, it's, 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 a, it's a struggle when you're having, you know, you're bringing in homes and you're building and you're having more people and you don't really have the, the room to grow to get them to move around. So you want them to get out of their cars. So what kind of initiatives would you say to try and get them out of their cars? Um, parking rides? Are you talking about parkades maybe? We have access to federal funds for infrastructure, so building roads and building, building better transit, so better regional transit that connects to local transit. So how do you improve that? We have a pretty good bus system, but we need to improve the, the wait times. You can't have people waiting half an hour or an hour, especially late at night when you're working. You know, young teenagers are expecting a bus. So you want to get that down to at least 15 minutes. So looking at an environmental impact on transit, go to clean tech buses. And there is access to funds for that. 
So you can't say, oh, we can't afford it. There is access to infrastructure funds for that. Electric vehicles, electric bicycles, clean tech, building walkable. There are places in, in Squamish that don't even have sidewalks. So safety is an issue. So we need to build sidewalks and bike lanes to the, the business park, to the school, to the downtown. Those are critical parts of planning in transit planning, but also understanding, again, as I said, how do people live their daily lives? How do you pay for that? Aha, uh-huh. I just, as one, <laughs> one I mentioned is Im- improving your tax base. Well, exactly, because right now our, our, our housing tax is pretty high, pretty cumbersome for some people who live here, especially if they're mortgaged to the tilt, right? Business taxes, right? Business taxes are not easy to handle as well, especially with downtown with the new BC assessments. You have people who are paying, they went, their taxes nearly doubled. They went pay from 10000 a year to 16000 a year just because there are, there are businesses in the building that could be six floors, right? So, and then you're talking about developing a lot of sidewalks and infrastructure when already, I think, we haven't diversified the economy yet. Where do we pay for such things right now or do we have to wait till we bring in the economy we've had an opportunity to access the gas tax and why we haven't i've never been able to get a clear answer from various people on council but we definitely need that gas tax uh in ontario that's how we paid for infrastructure transit infrastructure there's a coming cannabis revenue we need access to that and then again broadening your tax base through businesses that's another way to increase your tax uh, revenue So, and then is working with the provincial and federal governments. They have programs for infrastructure, for specific cultural builds like a, a, you know, an art center or a recreational center. They just announced one. So that's how you pay for it. You look to revenue. So the the fifth one I didn't bring up yet is uh, public-private partnerships. They're a way of building major infrastructure by partnering with the private sector. That's a wonderful way to build infrastructure, and it's worked. There's lots of best practice examples right across Canada of how that has worked to the advantage of a growing um, town like Squamish. Still, $100 million is a lot of money to sort of pull together from you know, a couple of private partnerships and, and, and programs and, and so and so forth. Uh, before we get into more of that, like when we talk about like LNG and, and to uh, GAS that might help with that $100 million, you brought up cannabis twice now. How, what kind of cannabis revenue are we looking at specifically in Squamish? I can't really speak to that because the, the province hasn't decided how they are going to best disperse those funds. Across uh, Canada, municipalities are actually part of that conversation. Yes, because I know I know provinces uh, and the federal government they sort of have what they want to do when it comes to cannabis revenue. When it comes to the municipalities that will be doing the implementation, where they talk about policing and, and the zonings and the bylaws and the enforcement and having these dispensaries actually work within their districts. I'm not quite sure. I, I'm a bit amiss of what's happening on that level. They are a part of the conversation because some have already decided on yay or nay, to even having retail in there. Like West Van has decided they're not going to allow retail. They may have to revisit that, uh, depending on how the province decides to disperse those tax revenues. That has yet to come. We are still in a state of flux, uh, but it's coming. It's kind of weird how it's going to be legalized in like three weeks. (laughs) It is. Uh, Even the regulations are still in a state of flux. There's a lot of change. After 95 years of prohibition, Change is going to come with a few bumps in the road. Um, so we're all going to learn as we go. But I see it as a positive. I don't see it as a negative. I s- already they've estimated 
uh, it to be an $8 billion revenue industry for Canada. It will change how we do healthcare. It will change how we do farmer care. Um, so people look at it as the big bad wolf, but I see it as a, a big positive. Yes, you need to manage it properly and you have to keep it out of the hands of youth, but you also need to see the positive impacts of it. We're not there yet, unfortunately, but it is promised to us that those revenues will come back to the municipal level and we should be ready to accept it. So you couldn't say whether those revenues coming back to the municipal level will just basically cover the cost of it or there's actually possibly some profit out of it. I see it as a profit. They want to make it an incentive because it helps small business. Again, we go back to people want to work in small businesses. Cannabis retail, cannabis manufacturing, there are a few here in Squamish. They want to keep working and keep people employed and pay their taxes. So if you eliminate them, you've lost that tax I'm not base. talking about eliminating them. I'm talking about like, when it comes to revenue because the, I can see the province saying, uh, I have you have a cannabis business. Well, they pay they pay for a business license. Uh, they pay their property taxes like any other business. That's it. Move on, right? And then it's like, okay, we can give you a little extra for the policing. We can give you a little extra for this or this or this. But I mean, I don't see them sharing profit. Is what I'm saying. The funding formula has yet to be decided, yeah. and the premise is that we will share in the profits. That's the whole incentive of saying yes. Right. Uh, the whole point of of having it in your community is to and to share in the profits is the incentive. They've looked at Colorado, they've looked at Oregon, and said, look at all of their infrastructure that they've been able to build as a result of cannabis tax revenue. They built schools and hospitals and uh, bettered their road systems and their transit systems. So I think they are aware that if they don't incentivize it properly, there will be a lot of pushback. So there's incentive on their side to Provide the incentives. This is a whole new podcast. I need to get you on another podcast, our, our old cannabis part three, because I can keep going on this because there's a lot of things that I just like, what's, no, I don't get it. Hold on. But we're, right now we're talking about the election and the issues in Squamish. We're talking about bringing revenue back to Squamish. So uh, another big revenue generator, uh, what we refer to as the big bad wolf for cannabis is the big bad wolf sitting outside on, the, on House Sound, LNG. Where, where, where we go with LNG, I think right now it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to come here. Yes, <laughs> and so again, back to the revenues, we have to work with the province, who's making this decision from what I understand, to negotiate a proper tax revenue from them. That's a critical point. It's fine to say no and fine to yell and scream and say no, 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 but it's coming. So then you know it's coming. How do you make it a positive? How do you turn a negative into a positive? So you turn it into a positive by saying, okay, you're going to build here. What kind of tax revenues are we going to see? And it has to be properly costed and properly worked out so that Squamish sees a benefit. It's not a neutral or a negative. It comes down to, I think, the amount. Right? Exactly. I think, I think the number thrown around before was 2 to $3 million, and then the province came in and said 6 to $10 million, but no one's really assessed a business like that before. So it's, and they want security at the end of the day, but also they want other things. They want uh, full control over Daryl Bay. They want a few other um, things that might be a little bit sticky points. So, I mean, how do you handle something like that? You know they're coming, but do we have leverage to say, you know what, you're sharing Daryl Bay. Yeah. You know what, you're going to give us this money. Um, do we have that leverage? Well, if you have a strong council, you will have that leverage. Uh, if we all stand together and say, we are, yes, we know LNG's coming. It's a foregone conclusion. We can't keep saying no, and it, there it is on our doorstep uh, because the province said it's going there. We stand shoulder to shoulder and say, okay, we're going to negotiate this way. 
Uh, we're not going to not be at the table. I think that's been part of the problem is yeah. we are not at the table. And I think that's where we, I think we lost our leverage. We have to be at the table. This is what we want out of the negotiation. And we have to be solid and firm in what we're negotiating for Squamish. Well, how about a project that's uh, been in the works for 20 years? It keeps coming up, disappearing, coming up, disappearing. Now it's coming up again, and it's, it's a big one. Garibaldi at Squamish. That, that's, uh, that's quite an ambitious project they have going on there. We actually did a podcast with them, and they seem to be very confident of the project. What do you feel so far about the project? Is there enough information out there that you think, um, what's missing? There's not enough information. I went to one of the presentations, and it was the first one of, that I'd ever been to. I understand from all the years of this circulating that they're now finally understanding that it has to be a year-round proposition, not just skiing, which is a good step forward. They've already released their bike trails. They're down the downhill bike trails. So they're, they're, they're going full-blown 20, uh, 24, 365. And that's fine. So you look at all the positives. Uh, you know, it brings, it brings tourism dollars. It brings jobs. It brings a certain amount of housing. I'm not sure how that's going to work. It, they're looking the, at a similar yeah. model to Whistler. Yeah. I think it's like they'll have housing for their staff. For their staff. To be able to buy into, just like the Whistler Housing yeah. Authority. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure how well that has worked in Whistler. I've heard pros that's, and cons on both sides yeah, of that, side, of that argument. Um, <laughs> so like I said, not enough information. But, you know, we have to look at then the other side of the ledger is where they're water, sourcing their water. Uh, what are their impacts like traffic? Whistler's been immensely packed, uh, impacted by traffic. Um, and you can't just say, no, I don't want. Whistler said, well, I don't want uh, day travelers from Vancouver. Well, you can't. You can't just stop people from coming. They're going to come. Even the um, mayor before, uh, not Jack, the claim <laughs> mayor, but the mayor before that last winter said, I don't want day trippers anymore. Well. Which is probably what gave Garibaldi Spring or Garibaldi uh, at Squamish that extra push. Yes. It has positive impacts. We also have to look at the challenges that that kind of um, structure brings to our water infrastructure. How does it affect Squamish and our sources of water and our our uh, water and sewer system? Can we can we handle that? We can barely handle our own right now at the rate of growth we're doing. So that has to be brought in. And how much does a developer like that then pay back to Squamish? Um, in all the conversations I've ha- heard and been a part of, some developers are not giving back. Uh, and, and are kind of given a pass as to how much they give back uh, for their development fees. Um, that needs to change. So I think we need to look at that for GAS as well and all the other developments that come in. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. The first layer is it's not part of the district yet. It's a question of getting the district to sort of take over those lands so the Garibaldi Squamish can be part of district. Right now they're talking SLRD land. So that's a whole new level of negotiations with the, uh, the the region and maybe even the province to, to sort of make that part of the district. And this is where I think before we talk anything else, this is where I've asked every candidate so far, this is an issue. Should we this come to a referendum decision or this is something that doesn't necessarily have to get to that level? At some point, it'll, I think it should go to the people. Again, I said, you know, we're great at saying what we don't want, but we should give people an opportunity to say what they do want um, and think about it. What do you want as part of Squamish? But before we get to that point, we have to have a good, solid understanding of what does that transfer mean? Mm -hmm. If they transfer that land to Squamish, that means additional infrastructure that Squamish has to support, additional traffic. But then again, it's not all negative. We have additional income. 
we have tourism. more jobs, we have tourism. So you really have to be able to weigh, make the decision from a point of greater knowledge. You can't just make it in a vacuum. And I don't think we have enough knowledge just yet. We also have to understand, what is the cost of that transfer of land? No one's actually told me, right. how much does that cost to right. transfer yeah, that land to, up, right. to, to Squamish? Yeah. And who's going to pay for that? Keep, yeah, no one's really brought up that question. Who's going to pay for that land transfer? Yeah. Land transfer is costly. Because every other issue that's been brought up has sort of been addressed by GAS. When they talked about water, they said, well, we've done testing for our own aquifer. When it comes to road in, we're going to put on our road in. When it comes to fire and police, we'll have our satellite things. We'll have housing. We have this. So they have an answer for everything. But that's the one thing I did not ask them. It's about when they transfer land, who's going to pay for that? And what are the costs that come with the land transfer? Like I said, all the infrastructure. So they're going to hook into, if they become part of Squamish, they're going to hook into our water and sewer and our electrical systems. Are they going to bring IT? Are they going to bring Wi-Fi with them? Are they going to bring all those smart city elements with them? I haven't heard that. I'm not overly pro about the project. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at, well, before I would say now 80-20. Now I'm sitting about 60-40. Uh, because I see the benefits, I see I see the um, the extra tourism because, and also like you know, organizations like Sorca that brings in about ten million dollars a year to to Squamish with their with their mountain biking and trails and so forth and network, creating something like that Garibaldi Squamish. I mean, we're talking about exponential growth when it comes to tourism dollars. So, uh, will that offset anything of the extra increment of cost? Great, but you know, in the long term, possibly in the short term, you're right. There is a lot of extra cost there. That, that might be a, a bit more than I actually thought it would be. <laughs> and that's not necessarily a negative thing. You yeah. just have to be aware of it and understand how you're going to accommodate it. Yeah. The other thing of jobs, we can say, yay, great jobs, but are they living wage jobs? Right. If they're $12, $13 an hour jobs, that's not a living wage anymore. Mm. 15 is barely living wage. I mean, 15, everybody's been pushing for 15 for five years now, and the cost of living has steadily gone up. So we're looking at 17 to 20 as a living wage job. Everybody says, are you bringing jobs? But are you asking the hard question? Are you bringing living wage jobs? Now we're coming back to what we were talking about prior. When it comes to businesses here, trying to afford employees because, you know, you, you, not every company can pay $20 an hour or $22 an hour. Because one, they're taxed. Two, they're this. So yes, we're going right back to where we started. <laughs> yes, it is that circle. And it's just finding that balance. You're right. Is there anything else you want to add that uh, I've sort of, we sort of glossed over that you want to, any pet projects, anything specific that you, 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 want, to, you want to bring to the table or have, make known? You know, my platform is live, play, work, grow. And we've touched on all those points, thankfully. So my biggest thing I want to emphasize is we need an economic development plan that's visionary, that looks at everything in balance uh, you can't look at things in a vacuum, like just GAS or just Garibaldi Springs or just LNG in and of themselves. It has to be part of a bigger vision. And how does each one impact the livability of Squamish? And that's critical, is people are deciding to live or not live here based on some of those things that are being made here. And I'd like to see livability considered as an impact when people are deciding to move here or leave here. Um, if people want more information about that and want to talk to me, they can get a hold of me at info at voteforjackie.com, and that's a number four, or on Facebook, elect Jackie for Squamish Council, or Instagram, voteforsquamishjackie.com, or at my website, voteforjackie.com. And remember to vote on October 20th, please vote 
And when you're choosing your counselors, remember to vote for Jackie Menezes. Thank you very much for doing this today, Jackie. Thank you very much, Marcus. So where, where they can... They can get a hold of me at info at voteforjackie.com, and that's a number four, or on Facebook, elect Jackie for Squamish Council, or Instagram, voteforsquamishjackie.com, or at my website, voteforjackie.com. And remember to vote on October 20th. Please vote. And when you're choosing your counselors, remember to vote for Jackie Menezes. Thank you. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.